Welcome to the Indigenous Mathematician series. Indigenous Mathematicians was created to bring all Indigenous mathematicians together for the purpose of representation for those Indigenous kids looking into the field of mathematics or STEM. Uh, today we have a mother-daughter doctor duo joining us, Jody and Roberta both from Institute of Education at Massey University in New Zealand. So Roberta is mom and Jody is daughter. Roberta Hunter is a professor of Pacifica Education Studies. Her research explores ambitious teaching, uh, mathematical practices, communication and participation, and strength-based and culturally sustaining practices in mathematics classrooms. Her most recent research has examined the mathematical practices students use as they work on problems embedded in social justice contexts. Jody Hunter is an associate professor in the area of mathematics education and Pacifica education and currently is a Rutherford Discovery Fellow. She has previously worked in the area of mathematics education at Plymouth University, UK, in the Center of Innovation in Mathematics Teachings and Learning. Her research interests include effective mathematics teachings and culturally responsive teachings for Pacifica learnings. Welcome, uh, you two. I am super excited uh, to get into the questions. And again, you, Wahine, are such role models. Um, and so our first question, speaking of generations, is who are the ancestors that you are grateful for? Uh, I'm gonna start maybe with Jody on this question, uh, and then maybe mom can add on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, for me, really, my mother's been a huge role model um, and somebody who's really supported me in, in kind of entering into teaching as a profession and then into maths education. And so when I was doing my PhD, we always had a bit of a joke that she was kind of the unofficial supervisor and would always see my pieces of work before I passed them on to anybody else. Um, but, you know, she's also taught me growing up um, as a child to um, mixed heritage, so Cook Island mother and um, a Pākehā father, but I always felt very strongly connected to our Cook Island culture and she always taught me to be really proud of who I was and to have a really strong cultural identity. So kept those links really strongly alive for me and I feel very privileged that I've been able to, to um, have her as a role model, but um, everything that she's taught me has been you know, really beneficial for me in my in my identity, but also my career. Awesome, mom. Would you like to add? Yeah, and it's funny, really, because I could then say my mother has been my role model that I always aspired to as as a child. But also, too, going back into my heritage, um, when I look at at my grandfather who lived on the remote northern island of Manahiki and was a, a well-renowned boat builder and so already had all the mathematical um, you know, evidence of strong mathematics. And then uh, my grandmother was known as both a healer and also a person who led groups in making te whaiwhai. And that's an absolutely mathematical quilt, a bedspread, but laid out mathematically. And then going back beyond that, my great-grandfather, going back, um, 
also was known as a navigator by the stars and people would go to him to learn about. So I did come from a background, a strong background of mathematicians. Was that Ma'a or was or so what do you guys yeah for? yeah and, and so he, he built Vokas, led the groups and you know like he never nothing is done alone but he led groups and designing and building Voka. but he also built you know the sort of colonialistic type schooners and things like that as well so he was very adaptive to whatever was coming in and saw you know, what usefulness of new things as well as maintaining old links. Um, and so how did you start into math, Roberta? Um, I was a teacher, primary school teacher, and but I liked maths. And But one of the things that here in New Zealand we have is our Pacifica students often don't see themselves as mathematicians whatsoever. It's lost by colonialism. And so as a primary school teacher, I used to gather the Pacifica students. They would eventually end up in my classroom. And so from there, I thought, gosh, there's something missing here. And I, I actually started seeking out books and things to say, so how can we do things better for these students to give them better opportunities? And that led to university work and going to, and then eventually being in a university and now working with large groups of teachers yeah, doing the same. Yeah, well, um, I guess for me, I became a teacher and I never really, like through my schooling, I didn't see myself reflected in mathematics classrooms. I actually left school and really didn't feel like I was very capable or competent at mathematics. And I think partly that's because I um, never kind of saw who I was reflected in in the mathematics lessons that I had, particularly at high school. I also think that the way that the mathematics classroom was set up, which was very individualistic and quite competitive and all of those kinds of things, didn't, didn't help. Yeah, so I left school and I always did maths. I did, you know, statistics at university, but I never really identified myself as kind of a mathematical person, quite the opposite. Um, yeah, but I, I trained to be a primary school teacher and then uh, my mother was just going to her first maths education conference. She said to me, would I go along and support her because it was the first time she was ever presenting at a conference and that was in my first year of teaching. So I went along to this maths education conference and I sat there and just thought, oh wow, this is like so different than anything I ever experienced and if I'd had teaching that paralleled what the people were talking about, then I would feel a lot different about about mathematics. Yeah, so that really inspired me to to come back. And in my first year of teaching, I started doing my master's in maths education. Um, and yeah, it really went from there. But it probably wasn't until um, I returned from England that I started really taking more of an interest in, in kind of drawing onto my culture in terms of yeah, so I, you know, I, I, yeah, well, I did my, I so I did my PhD in early algebra, so I was looking at how you can draw on algebra and kind of everyday mathematics lessons in the classroom. Yeah, um, but it was quite like oriented towards the kind of algebraic nature of number, um, as opposed. To, yeah, it was in England, so yeah, so I was working in England, you know, so um, 
Yeah, so and I was in a very um, monocultural part of England as well. Plymouth is, yeah, so Plymouth is ninety eight point six or something white British. So it's it's about the least diverse part of England. It was quite funny actually. I got um, uh, delegated to be the ethnic minority representative on staff. So. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and um, then I returned. Oh, sorry, then I returned to to New Zealand, and um, yeah, and then I actually it was kind of funny because I was doing some work on growing patterns, and I was looking at my grandmother making a tivai, and I suddenly went, "Oh, look, there's like a growing pattern in the tivai she's making." And yeah, and I guess that was kind of. Um, uh, yeah, because before I'd been thinking about values and identity and things like that, but I hadn't really looked at um, things like T-Vi-Vi from a mathematical lens. And, and yeah, that kind of spun me down a new kind of way of thinking about things and looking for the mathematics in everyday and kind of cultural artifacts, everyday life and experiences that we have as specific people. Yeah, I think actually you're here, I think – you know, exactly the same as what Jodie's talking about. I was always quite good at maths at school, but I thought that it was my father. I attributed all of that maths to my father, who was of European, you know, he was Irish and so on, and I thought it must be him. I didn't, I was never able to see that actually everything my mother did was mathematical until I was growing up. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the next question, though. Uh, what do you want to see for future generations? Yeah, I suppose the best thing for me is when we have uh, children from different Pacific cultures, you know, so Samoan or Cook Island or Nuean, and, and they see themselves as mathematicians. They recognize that they come from a cultural background that has strong mathematics in it, and they can be proud and succeed in their cultural identity and not feel that they have to give up who they are to be able to succeed in a mathematics classroom. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've had a project which um, – has been looking at the funds of knowledge of, of young Pacific people. And so that means kind of the mathematics and um, that children do outside of school in their home or community contexts. And yeah, what I'm really excited about with this project is that we're getting the children and the families themselves to document examples in their home and in the community. Yeah, so previously a lot of the funds of knowledge work was about teachers going into the home and looking at what um, families and children were doing, which is important. I think that's important as well. But to me, um, you know, we've we've interviewed kids here before we started working with their schools and they say things like, um, it's weird being, you know, Samoan in the maths classroom because you have to be a palangi, like a white person to do maths or, you know, I'm from Tokelau and Tokelauans don't do maths. So that's, you know. Yeah, so so I think it's like the teacher dimension is really important, but it's really important for the children themselves and families to see that that you know mathematics is part of our culture. Yes, something that I've been really interested in, in that is the way in which our Pacifica, like the Cook Island children, work together as one, and so when they come to go to get together in a group to work, it's almost seamless. You know, it's, when they're solving a problem, the four will be working in a group, in a small group. But who writes and who who does 
the talking out loud shifts between them because they're so carefully watching and listening and building together. But it's not like watching a group of other children who are European because when they're working as a group of four, often they'll a lot, oh, well, you do this, but you do this, but you do this, but. And then they don't pay attention to what each other is doing. They just want the finished product. But when our children are working together, it's all about having a product that represents all of them as one. Yes, it's a collectivist type approach, which you don't see. And, and you know, in fact, it's invisible in our classrooms. And teachers here in New Zealand will often interpret that as nobody's doing any real work. Yeah. Yeah, and we've yeah. had a long history in New Zealand of using ability grouping, so putting kids into, mm. you know, a, a low ability, a middle ability, a high ability group yeah. to do mathematics. And I think that's really contrary to what Pacific values are about collectivism. And, and actually, even in Pacific, you know, like we're brought up to say, oh, don't show off, you know, don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, be humble, be humble, you know, that's, that's the kind of an important value. So Ability grouping really goes against values, I think, of Pacific people. And it's not, yeah, and I think a lot of children, the other part of it that can be difficult is um, that a lot of Pacific children are, you know, are quiet or reluctant to speak in the mathematics classroom and things like that. So then they're put into low ability groups because the teachers don't realise how capable the children are. Is there any movement within um, Aotearoa that's yeah, I, changing? Yeah, so a lot, we've been doing a lot of work. We work with around 200 and I think it's about 210 schools wow. around the country. Yeah, and so one of the things we've been um, – because you can't just say to teachers, stop doing ability grouping without offering a different way of working. And so, yeah, so what we're working with schools is to instead draw on those values like um, mum was talking about. So draw on the value of collectivism and, and how can we instead – allow children to work collectively and not use ability grouping, but instead use the different strengths of people in a group to work together to, to do mathematics. Hmm. So, yeah, and I think we have had quite an impact and even our ministry over here now is, is you know, quite strongly saying stop using ability grouping. It's not wow. serving our children well. So In general, yeah. not just STEM, not just math, but like if somebody's in calculus and but ones in algebra, they want to collectively get them yep. on the same level. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I have a question for, uh, for Jody again. What is culturally responsive teaching and what have you found in your research? Yeah. So I think it's a lot of what we were talking about. It's about thinking about what is the child's cultural identity? How can I as a teacher um, teach in such a way that aligns with the child's cultural identity so thinking about the child's values for example and how you you can teach in a way that that aligns with the child's values thinking about their funds of knowledge their experiences outside of school and how we can use those as a strength in the classroom mm -hmm. okay uh, roberta what is culturally sustaining practices in mathematics um, it's just an extension of culturally responsive. So it is actually maintaining um, the cultural identity, but also bringing in social justice and democratic rights, wow. the democratic rights of the, of the child as a person in this country. So, But it's, it's maintaining who they are and, and letting them see 
that they have the right to be that person. There's all these big words for me <laughs> that I've never <laughs> seen put together. <laughs> So yeah, thank you yeah. for explaining that. Are there any projects that you would like us? To yeah, consider? so we've got a yeah we've got a project at the moment um, which actually was funded by the U.S. Embassy, um, and we're working on it with a researcher from University of Arizona, Marta Seville, and it's looking at developing um, culturally based tasks for the Cook Islands and Nui as well. And so what we're doing is we've been working with teachers. We've just come back, actually, from working with teachers for a week in Rarotonga. And we were working with the teachers to contextualise some mathematical tasks and put them into a context that aligned with children in the Cook Islands and their experiences. We'll be going to Nui in August to do the same thing there. And we're really excited we'll be able to um, have these tasks freely available on a website so in, at Massey University, we work within the Centre for Research and Mathematics Education. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in that work, you'll be able to look up that website and the tasks will all be there freely available for any teachers around the world to access. Um, and I think they give a good model of how you can design mathematical tasks which value and honour Indigenous funds of knowledge. Uh Awesome. Yeah, and and also um, the also the best evidence. It's called best evidence. B E S under education counts at in the ministry. They have a whole series of videos with our work in schools developing culturally responsive and sustaining mathematics classrooms. So there are parents talking about it. There are school. There are teachers talking. There's classrooms in action and things so and that's a really valuable website as well that a lot of teachers go to yeah there's even a even a lesson of me teaching uh lesson about using tivaivai as looking at growing patterns yeah well I, I think that's one of the interesting things in in the project where we've had the families and children taking photographs um we did some work over in Nui with that and there was such a strong intersection with stem um so there was this really rich mathematics, but a lot of what the families and children were talking about had really strong links to science and to engineering and as well, you know. So, yeah. But it's thinking about how we can recognise and build on those links. As educators, that's the important part. Yeah, we're going to get you guys. I mean, you guys are already hitting not just your country, but many other Pacific islands too. So... Um, is there any advice that uh, you have for students or aspiring mathematicians? Yeah, I, I think I would actually advise them to make sure that they retain who they are, that they actually see that they are scientists and mathematicians and so on in their own culture and, and find that in their culture because otherwise... Um, it, you know, you can't be just single. You can't be... But I think that you need to live with a foot in both worlds. Yeah. Jody. Yeah, and I guess I build on that a little bit because I say, you know, be proud of who you are because we come from a really strong cultural background um, and we have really good values that we can build on in looking after people. I think some of our Pacific nations have led the world in, in the COVID response. So... In terms of looking after elderly, um, you know, and, and ways that, that um, 
have looked after the whole well-being of community. So I think we can be really proud about who we are as a group of people and we don't need to give up our cultural identity to succeed in mathematics and STEM. So thank you so much again for joining me in this podcast. But if anybody wants to learn more about Native Stories, you can go to our website at nativestories.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook at Our Native Stories. And ahoy ho.